Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to 2023 and to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. I'm Alison Humphreys. I'm a board advisor and non-exec director for anyone who's a new listener this year and it'd be great if you've joined us for the first time. Today is a slightly unusual episode. I'm joined today by Zena Everett. Now, Zena used to own a recruitment business back when we became friends, oh, a couple of decades ago, I would say, Zena, um, and actually then left the recruitment industry and retrained as an organisational psychologist and leadership coach. And Zena is now has a global conference speaking career. She's the author of the Crazy Busy Cure, uh, all about the modern workplace. And today, slightly unusually, um, Zena's going to be interviewing me about the topic of leadership. And if it's passed you by, I have a new book out. It's available now on Amazon. It's called Seven Habits of Successful Recruitment Leaders. So at this point, I'm going to hand over to Zena to um, take control. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I'm a bit croaky, but that's fine because Alison's going to do most of the talking so you don't have to listen to too much of that. So yeah, so I really wanted to hijack this podcast and ask Alison, I want to find out what she really thinks. Because the recruitment industry is just so fascinating, isn't it, with all those great characters. And Alison has been around for so long that you've seen all these different iterations of it. So I thought, let's just relax and let's find out what she really thinks. So so the first question I suppose is is actually how do you do it? I mean you obviously you stay ahead of everything, you're ahead of the game, you're coming up with new ideas, you're not old school, but I suppose you bring forward those old values. So actually why do you keep doing it? What do you love about it? Gosh, thank you. Well, I like to think I'm I'm up to date and it is actually quite a job to stay on top of the recruitment industry now. Um, Like lots of other industries, you know, COVID really accelerated digitization and um, and changing attitudes from clients and candidates about how communication is done and so forth. So I actually do dedicate time myself to making sure I am up to speed with new tech um, suppliers, new techniques that people may be using. And I also keep in touch with a a sort of alumni population of people that I've worked with or even been employed by in the past. So I've always got feelers out across lots of different industries. And I guess the other thing is I, I look outside of individual recruitment businesses um, people will be aware of a long association I've had with the REC I'm CIPD qualified and I make sure that I am on top of external data from a number of sources so that hopefully hopefully I've got some sort of um, idea of what's coming down the line so that I can help 
the people I work with get on the front foot with change rather than feeling buffeted by storms. And I think we all know what that feeling's like in from 2020. Yeah. So you're you always strike me as being kind of ahead of things. So you're out in front. And I guess that's what your clients want you for is because they might have their head down in the weeds and you're saying, actually, you need to see these opportunities or these risks or whatever. I'm sure it's a little bit more intelligent than that. But leaving aside all that, what do you love about it? Because you, I mean, I'm sure there's you, I'm sure you could have leapt off and done other things at some stage, but you've stuck at it. So, you know, what is it about this industry that's got you so hooked? Do you know, um, I'm really glad you asked that question, Zena, because I feel quite, I feel like I'm going to make a sort of heartfelt speech at this point, but I genuinely believe this. I, th- I, I cannot think of another sector where you can have such broad and varied experiences where you can, even from a really young stage, develop it in your very early career um, to have a lot of responsibility and access to really senior people. And there I'm talking about, you know, client and candidate communities and, and where you're looking right across businesses because recruitment to me is never just about filling a seat. You know, uh, all, all the businesses that recruiters deal with have their own objectives and filling headcount numbers just isn't one of them. You know, it is it is about achieving what their business wants to achieve. So you have this wonderful opportunity to learn so much about so many different sectors. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I have never stopped believing that the work that the recruitment industry does is important. And yeah, sure, I know there are a lot of people who repeat stuff about Uh, you know, recruiters and roll their eyes and so on and so forth. But actually, when surveyed, people who've actually had personal experience of using recruitment business services, nearly three quarters of them are satisfied or highly satisfied with the service they receive. Um, And the third reason is um, a, a little bit because because the nature of the industry has always been that people break off from bigger organizations and start their own business there is this constant renewal and for someone in in my business now which is obviously advising those people and helping them hopefully avoid really expensive errors the things they have to unpick in the future as well as accelerating their growth um that means that there are always new people who don't know the stuff yet you know <laughs> they don't know what they don't know and I, I just love working with them. I think the, the, the recruitment business leaders that I work with are almost without exception, like really entrepreneurial, ambitious, optimistic and, and entertaining people. So uh, hopefully that's enough reasons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, th- there definitely is something about the recruitment industry, isn't it? Because as you said, I used to be in it and I used to have a business that did recruitment to recruitment. And now I'm doing, I'm coaching in all sorts of businesses across functions, across disciplines. And I think actually the recruitment job is really hard. We think it's very one dimensional. It isn't. It's really hard. And the caliber of people that are successful at it, you know, of course, there's colorful characters, but actually they are 
they are really, really good. And maybe we don't always realize how good we are because I think most of the really good people stay at it, like you say. And I'm always interested in the people that have sold their businesses and then they pop up again and they don't need the money. They just do it because I think they love the people, don't they? They love they love the people and the camaraderie and the learning. I think most of us are fairly gregarious types. Um, and so, yeah, we, we do like that company and exposure. But yes, like as you say, the ongoing learning is fascinating. But but tell me about that gregariousness, right? Because obviously I was in it back in the day and I don't want to sound like a small dinosaur, so <laughs> your listeners are rolling their eyes. But I mean, when I, occasionally I do go and catch up with contacts in recruitment and I walk around their offices, and I think, God, these are dismal. You know, they're all emailing, people are tapping away, they've got their headphones on. It's a different job, isn't it? And I wanted to talk to you about that, the kind of the you know, the competencies of the people that you look for. And I know it's still relationship building, but how much has it changed? You know, how much has it changed from needing those good salespeople to to something a bit different? Well, actually, you know, I've got I've got some fairly hard data on this. Um I knew you would, Alison. You don't fly by the seat of your pants. Yeah, go on. Um, there are interestingly, there are factors that I would say probably haven't changed but you know I've been able to work with you know quite large businesses who have gathered enough historic data through doing psychometric tests and I mean they're both aptitude and ability tests go into the the distinction for listeners in a moment but we we've been able to look at those those test results when they were taken at the point of recruitment and then map how successful those people have been in recruitment and in the organisation and therefore determine, you know, where there's a correlation. Mostly, I have to say, I don't think it has changed. So the key factors um, remain goal orientation. um, And that's not just, I hope it goes without saying, but that's not just competitiveness. It is about constantly setting yourself the how can I be better goals and taking action on them so goals and plans if you like there's a uh, a strong emphasis on communication skills now those can be measured in certain psychometrics it seems a bit odd but you are actually measuring people's you know verbal comprehension and, and understanding and um, my observation would be that communication as in the ability to listen and adapt your own output remains absolutely critical there's also there's an element of i might bracket under bracket it under optimism so people who are able to spot an opportunity and have the the positive approach that it may work to follow things through there's those three things definitely there remains a correlation where i've seen a little bit of a shift is that the amount of what psychometrics who are using the DISC model refer to as compliance. Now, compliance doesn't just mean obeying rules in this context, does it? It means um, the need to follow a framework and a process. And actually, the need for that has increased a little bit So, for success. So I suspect that that is linked to the fact that 
recruitment agencies are more data driven, that um, our CRMs are absolutely critical, um, that there's much more regulation. Oh, my goodness. So much more than when um, when I started in recruitment. And, you know, the larger organizations will have really quite sophisticated um, processes that are really important. So that's a shift. Um, and the other aspect that I would say has become really, really important is what is generally referred to as fluid intelligence. Now, for any listeners who, who haven't come across that term before, and we have referred to it on previous podcasts, fluid intelligence is not about IQ as such. It's not about what you've learned. It's about your ability to learn, if you will, uh, to recognise patterns, spot anomalies, and adapt really quickly and to absorb new information. And um, I do think that 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 has become more important because you've got so many data sources coming at you, so many channels to manage. But sorry to rattle on a bit on this question, but the the other point that you made when you were describing offices full of people tap, tap, tapping is that, unfortunately, there, there remains an issue, or rather it's become an issue, because of the the very low cost tools of mass broadcast so automated email sequences case in point automated linkedin messaging um there's a there's a section of the community that it's as if we'd never learned anything about sales at all now any if, if people think sales is just something that is made up they're missing a you know huge treasury of actual data and research. There's some highly reputable um, consultancies that publish great research on this. And that they show us that when you're selling services like recruitment, the particular approaches work. And one of them isn't, hi, my name's Alison, and I've got a product. Are you interested? And then following it up with an automated email that says, you haven't got back to me. At least tell me if you're not interested. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> People really do that in recruitment. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so, so you see it in recruitment, you see it in recruitment suppliers. And um, it's just so unnecessary and, in, and inappropriate. So, so after everything you've described, all those sort of different elements that your wonderful recruiter has to have, and I'm sure that there's still a massive war for great talent in the recruitment industry, you're not going to get somebody who who kind of ticks every single box equally. So out of everything you've said, Alison, if you had to pick one, and I know it's, I know obviously there'll be contextual differences and so on, but fundamentally, out of what you said, what what's most important out of all of those? Um, gosh. So at at entry point to the industry. Yes. No, before they're managing, I think let's look at as for a fee earner. You're hiring a new fee earner into your business. What do you think? If they haven't got this, it's not going to work. I think it has to be the communication skills, actually. Yeah. I feel like good leadership can actually help people become more goal-orientated, important as that is. And I feel that a little bit of experience and observation can help people get better at spotting opportunities. Yes, you can train that. You can find the motivation. But the communication piece... You have to want it to be an intrinsic part of your job. Do you mean a sort of a genuine curiosity about people and getting close mm. to them? And yeah, yeah. 
okay, well, I'm ticking that box because that was always the same. Because I remember, <laughs> I remember when we interviewed people and they said, oh, I really want to get into recruitment because I like people. We'd say, let me just stop you there. You, you, you don't have to like them. You have to be really interested in what makes them tick and what makes them better. So it sounds like that's still a big part of it, isn't it? And also to understand the client's business and to have that kind of genuine, you know, sharp intellectual curiosity and a bit of. Yeah, which if you, you know, which any any listener who's thinking, well, Zena's made a complete career pivot. Well, actually, you've just explained the complete logic of going from your business, running a recruitment business into organisational psychology and leadership. So your what some people might think you've done is a career pivot it actually there's a there's a golden thread there isn't there through recruitment into your organizational psychology work yeah big time it's still it's still that curiosity and interest about people which is which leads me on nicely to the next question actually so Alison it's just you and me here on here so you can be completely honest when a new recruitment entrepreneur approaches you and says come and come and work with us what do you look for? What are the red flags that you spot when you listen to them? They're describing their business, they're describing their goals and how they operate. What makes you what makes your heart sink and say, uh-oh? <laughs> right. Well, strictly between uh, the two of us. Between the two of us, yeah. <laughs> okay. The first is um, where people are exclusively focused on the potential money that they're going to earn and um, there's quite a lot of discussion about this in my book that some people have taken that Simon Sinek you know start with the why and they think that they proudly tell me that their aim is to be in and out in a certain time frame and make be worth x number of millions and that makes my heart sink it's not necessarily a complete rule out because sometimes they're just copying what they think is a cool thing to say you know but um that makes my heart sink if people don't have any other aim because actually you're not going to be in total control of that making those millions and when you can exit a business um and if people start purely with the money in mind they tend to create businesses which are not very attractive to the employees are under resourced and they're businesses that are always how can i put it scrabbling around to to scrape some money out of somebody rather than creating a strong strong um client uh, you know client network so sometimes it's just what comes out it's front of mind but that i would always probe that the second thing is that many recruiters have been very successful without ever getting involved in anything much behind the scenes as an employee and they perhaps don't have much idea about what's involved in running a business. And there is a world of difference between being a good recruiter and building a good recruitment business. And so when I hear somebody saying, look, I'm, I'm not interested in compliance. I'm not interested in HR. Oh, finance. I don't understand it. I just leave that all to my accountant. That That is a really worrying sign because... They may not know it, but they're they're the people with the liability. And I've seen ooh, a, a number of examples of people who have delegated without understanding what they're delegating and have been effectively exploited by 
suppliers or in some cases they've been um they've just ended up with something very different from what they thought they were ending up with or paid through the nose for it unnecessarily because they you know they they just didn't bother to un- try to understand what the accountant for example was saying to them and it's really easy to to hoodwink people like that and maybe they're not taking their role seriously they they don't actually understand if i'm a ceo or a managing director whatever they're calling themselves what does that mean it's just not the person out in the front <laughs> yes oh, so true and in some cases it takes the form of people they haven't made that mental leap that their company is a separate legal entity from them and they're still using it as a sort of personal piggy bank in some cases it's to do with um oh right the magic day this is where you know, when you start talking to them about things like, well, actually, your employment contracts are completely inadequate, or you've got no staff policies. Oh, yeah, we'll sort all that out one day. Now, that magic day, we all dream of it, don't we? It's the day when everything's done, and there's like a really reliable revenue stream, and everybody's happy in work, and and you can then go and sort out these details. You can't, you never will be able to. And and by then you'll have create you'll have so many created so many problems, so people who think that it's just a box ticking exercise or or unimportant are setting very often setting themselves up for problems, and 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 a good example of that would be where business owners have, you know, effectively been taken hostage by a, one or a couple of really big billers, and they let them get away with absolutely anything. And, you know, the the culture that creates and the knock-on consequences of that can actually bring a business down. And I've seen that happen, you know, where as a consequence of what that a, a big biller was doing, um, the company was fined and, uh, and it, in effect, didn't make it, it made it not worth running anymore. Um, so it can be really messy. And people who think that's that's unimportant, yeah, that's a warning sign for me. Um, so yeah, people who don't understand all their responsibilities, who who aren't interested in it, people who think it's all just about selling. And I think there is one, one other warning sign for me, and that is from day one, someone who is saying that they don't want to manage people. They just want to hire someone in to do that. You cannot be a recruitment business leader and just be a biller and hire someone to do everything else. It's not your business then and you're still liable for it so um the idea that you can delegate everything i think is a false one and also that people aren't going to copy your behaviors you can't say just i'm just going to get on with this you just yeah okay so that sounds like it's a bit of a shift really from people thinking i am running a serious business here and i've got to act like a leader whatever that looks like and even if i i'm still going to be the top biller I can't just devote 100% of my time to do that. And I can't just, it's, yeah, it's not a lark. It's serious, isn't it? Okay. So if somebody listening to this beginning of January, setting intentions for next year, what would you tell them to deal with? You know, what would be the problem that you say, nip it in the bud now, don't let it fester. So thinking about your top biller, for example, would that be something where you think, that would definitely be one. Um, it would be one about standards and behaviours, really. And 
I don't want that to, to blow that out of proportion because I do think actually the overall standard of behaviour has improved dramatically across the industry internally. So that would be one. I think um, another one, if they're setting purposes for the year, would be to have effective implementation plans for changes that they want to make. It's all a little bit uncertain and volatile, the environment we're in at the moment. And although pretty much everyone I know has still got lots and lots of work on, you know, there's there's highly likely to be some great a loss of confidence among amongst most client groups. And now is the time to fix the roof because there's a generation of newish recruiters out there who have never known a market that isn't awash with jobs. And my observation would be that they have quite, they they really struggle to, for example, have any kind of dialogue with a client or, you know, former client, unless it's about filling a job. They they don't know how to how to develop that account, keep the lines of communication open, or add value in any way that isn't sending CVs. Yeah, um, but that they are going to need to do that, and so for most businesses, and statistically most recruitment businesses are still employ fewer than nine people. Uh, it's something like eighty four percent employ fewer than nine people. So it really is the the biggest chunk of the market. There's no excuse for the founder or directors not to get their heads under the bonnet and listen to what people are actually doing on calls. Look at what they're sending out and think about quality because actually there's a there's a sort of a, a low baseline, you know, the, where people have, have actually still been able to make some money over the last two years. Um, even without being a good recruiter, do not kid yourself that that means your people are good recruiters. And hey, Alison, do you think the time has moved on from recruiters when they're asked why they're different to say <laughs> honesty and integrity? So it's like fish and chips, isn't it? What makes you different? So I can I tell you, I did some happy research before this. So I said, right, I'm going to really go just go through. I went through a load of recruitment websites for connections that you and I have in common to see how they say and on their homepage, you know, why use us? And I've got together an amalgamation of what they all say. It is, and you tell me about this. So this is it fundamentally, they say, fundamentally, the fundamental principles, they're the two things, aren't they? Fundamental, anyway, the fundamental principles on which our business operates are integrity, professionalism, and honesty. So what other industry has to make a bit of point of saying we don't rip you off? I know. I mean, surely that's just a given. <laughs> but that seems to be the, the whole kind of pillar. Then they say it, there's always something about we go the extra mile to deliver outstanding service and relationships at the heart of what we do. And then I went on to some of the um, outsourcing pages on some of the big consulting firms and they talk about things like commitment to multicultural dynamic workplaces and um, responding with agility to your staffing needs, finding wonderful talent with tech. They talk a bit about why their tech is special and different, mindful of the collective interests of our candidate community, 
One said we're impartial, we're uncorruptible. This is what we mean. You know, this is why we're totally objective. He thought, we've got to. Does that annoy you? <laughs> we've got to move over from this thing. We've got to raise our game on this. I, I couldn't agree more with you, Zena. The Oh, and here's, here's, I'll give you another a couple of my particular trigger ones. Um, we, have, we have 40 years of combined experience. Do you know what that makes me do? It makes me just look and see, oh, right, you've got 10 staff. So actually you've got four years of experience on average. And by the way, if you've only ever done one job in that, really that's just one year's experience four times, isn't it? Um, so it, it to me, it just highlights the lack of experience across the business. That's a terrible one. Um, honesty, integrity, I agree with you. Um, and um, there is, I mean, there is a really important point about uh, having a deep understanding of the sector you serve. It's no good just telling people you've got it. Your website needs to demonstrate it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no point just saying it because everybody says that stuff, don't they? They do. And, and everybody who says it believes it. Do you know, here's the funny thing. In 37 years, I've never met a self-confessed, dishonest recruiter who didn't have a deep understanding of their sector. <laughs> At least not one that recognised that they didn't, you know. So, you know, where's where's the evidence? Show me, don't tell me. Yeah, I think that's really key. And and the other one I was going to say was this attempt to be all things to all people. So, uh, I, I a classic is we specialise in, and then there's a list of like seventeen sectors and twenty five job titles and geographies spanning asia europe middle east uh you know it, like that's not specialism be clear <laughs> i mean it's funny but there's an awful lot that is still like you said it's been a great market for a few years so you can get away with that can't you you, you can get away with it but actually this is a time to fix your roof i love that analogy and and there, there was quite a bit about we you know uh, a little bit about diversity but there was no, you know, our commitment to multicultural workplaces is demonstrated by our multicultural team. There was none of that. So we, we've really got, we've got to get ahead, haven't we, I think. We, I'm not in recruitment, but, but, but we do have to get ahead of all this stuff, don't we? And, and like you say, really walk the talk and evidence it. I agree with you. I think that we can do better and you know i new business owners are down in the weeds very often and they it's very hard for them to see what messages are going out there to people that they're not having a conversation with directly at the moment um and so i had a good example it was a, a small business placing temporary and permanent accountants in london and i looked at their website after they made contact with me Nowhere on that website did it mention anything about London or accountants or permanent and temporary recruitment. Great, yeah. So it, they, they've just not seen it from the outside, you know. What, what I find really interesting is, is um, when I talk to recruiters and they tell me about their technology, particularly for sourcing candidates, I think, gosh, that's so interesting. But they don't, they don't share that on their, on their sites. 
And for me, externally, I would think, ah, oh, right, I'll go to that one because they've got the technology that does this and this. Probably not realizing that maybe all recruiters have that now. But, but maybe we, you know, we just don't, we're not explicit enough about. So, so why do you think recruitment leaders miss this? What are they focusing their energy on instead? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I would be speculating, but I would guess that they miss it because they think about the conversations and the the direct dialogue that they're having one-on-one with clients and candidates. And because typically they're good at communicating, those are good and warm. And they are often able to demonstrate the things that they're good at, like their industry knowledge and so forth, in that conversation. But they don't necessarily put it out at high-level communications just because, uh, yeah, because they don't necessarily realise its value to external organisations, you know, um, how it might look. I think perhaps we've got, you know, most of us are career recruiters and it's very easy to get lost in that world and and assume that people know stuff that they don't so so you mean that they've come from they've come from a stable they've set up their own business they make it a nicer place to work whatever that looks like or they think they do but they're just recreating as opposed to going to the clients to say you talk to me about your dream recruiter and then we'll work we'll work that way Exactly. And if there's one conversation that I would urge people who are thinking about opening a business or have even already done it to have with themselves, that is, OK, why does the world need another recruitment business? There are so many of them. What is it that you are going to do better, faster, cheaper even than the existing businesses? How can you prove it and how can you make sure that it happens every time? And you, if, if you've got that clear in your head, you can take that message to the people and it will be seen and understood by the people who value that. So if you're selling on being fast, sell to people who value that. If you're selling on thoroughness, do it, do it that way. Yeah. And what does that actually mean, I suppose? I do remember in recruiting recruiters, I think probably I was only ever asked a few times by candidates who'd say, if I, I have got a client base and I know that I can move them and I will, why should I take my candidate base, to, or my client base, I mean, to that particular company? Why will my clients be better at this new recruitment business than the one that they're leaving? How can they help me do a better job? And that was a very rare conversation. Yeah, but it should be happening all the time, shouldn't it? Yeah. It should be, yeah, yeah. So when has somebody surprised you? A, a recruitment business leader? Yeah. When have you thought, when have they, yeah, well, when have they surprised you? When have they have lived up to your expectation or maybe they've exceeded your expectation? Yes, actually, um, both, I think. So one one particular case springs to mind, and it's actually a former employer of mine um, who, if listening, will recognise themselves. Um I've, you know, always used to be, like, introduce ideas and head down and go at stuff. And I remember this particular business owner saying to me, listen, don't worry about, you haven't dropped the ball. You've put it, you can go and put that ball down in the corner of a room and you know it's there and you do it later, but deal with this ball properly right now. And one of the biggest 
things that per, that individual taught me what taught me was that implementation thrashes ideas out the park every time <laughs> ideas are cheap but if you're going to build a substantial business you need to be able to implement stuff that sticks um and i really hope i've taken that lesson to all the people i work with now um because it's i i think you know it's not an uncommon issue with recruitment business leaders and um so you mean they just get so in the in the weeds like you're saying they haven't and they're, but they're full of ideas but they haven't got time to yeah or they or they they love an idea and they rush it out but they don't think well hang on if i'm actually going to make this stick i'm going to think need to think about there's probably some training needed there's probably some collateral or tools or reminders visual reminders for people there's probably something we have to do to the crm there's uh likely to be some uh if we're trying to create a change we might need to have some short-term incentive and if it doesn't work we might even need to have some short-term penalties for some people um we need to um you know have a, a rollout plan and check-in points so that we can see we're on track because you know, change, and that's usually what you're trying to do as a leader um, in one way, shape or another, that change has always got the, the sort of the, the gravity pulling against it, hasn't it? And therefore, um, if you have check-in points that say, look, you, this may still feel painful and awkward, but we're on the right track. Otherwise, people will, will go, do you know what? Oh, it's not working. Let's give up and go back because to the way we were doing things because that was easier. It was familiar, wasn't it? Um, so I think I've, it's fair to say I have seen some, you know, some remarkable um, successes with people who, like me, have learned that. There's also, I think, some people have surprised me by their genuine willingness to to take a punt on a, a new market so the US is the big buzz uh, at the moment so you're probably aware and um, lots of businesses I think maybe just concentrate on getting things right here in the UK first but um, I've seen some real success with people doing that and they've been willing to just go and make those approaches sometimes they've been a bit scuttergun at first but they've really impressed me by sticking with it and going back to right where can we get referrals um and successfully building new revenue streams like that one other thing that springs to mind is that i've been working with um a business leader who needs to create a, a management infrastructure below himself and um his instinct said look you know we'll just like let people develop into the role and it can be gradual it's going to be gradual anyway because there's so much learning <laughs> done in there but what impressed me was when i said uh, you know i said to him actually you can't just try and let people slide into leadership roles they can't move from the from being one of the peeps to their manager unless there is a line in the sand and an announcement and um and this particular individual was very unwilling to go with that because he thought it was putting too much pressure on people and would be create um, tensions unnecessarily. But actually, when we went through it in detail, I was really impressed with the way he, he, he went with 
what I was proposing at the time, which was that you need to draw a line in the sand, give people a clear job description, tell everyone else what that job description is, tell them when they can still come to you and, you know, and let these individuals actually just come up with an initial plan for their teams. Yeah, so that's that's been a, a, an interesting one recently. So I, the, I, actually, the uh, the answer is, Zena, they're constantly surprising me. <laughs> that's in good ways and, and not so good. But uh, I think the the main thing I've learned from from my work with them is that you've got to manage yourself if you're going to be a successful leader first. I've, I've been certainly in the past got myself into a spiral of too much stress, trying to take on too much uh, all at once and learning to spot those signs in yourself and get support. I think that's that's really, really um, helpful lesson for all leaders. Well, on that note, final question then, if 2023 plays out fantastically for you, Alison, what, what are your goals Oh, um, well, I really hope I can carry on doing what I do now. I love doing it. I love working with a very selected number of people to actually see real results um, in their business. Uh, I hope that a number of my clients are going to win some more awards, industry awards this year. And um, that, uh, oh, and that some people will buy my book, <laughs> Seven Habits of Recruitment Leaders. Um and uh yeah that's mine so thank you ah well it's lovely to talk to you and maybe you'll let me come back and talk to you about those seven habits I'd love that yes that would be great Zena thank you very much for for joining me today it's been great fun talking to you about um thoughts and observations on the industry generally um and for anyone who's listening and is interested go have a look on Amazon um the book is available for order now okay thank you You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow Recruitment Leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.